will regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state? The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Good Tuesday to you. Welcome to the Ides of March. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad to be with you on the program today. We are talking constitutional carry because, uh, yes, there are now 23 constitutional carry states. I, I think we could probably say 23 and a half because I know that uh, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has not signed constitutional carry, but it has cleared the legislature. He has uh, been in support of constitutional carry all along. So I think it's only a matter of time before Georgia becomes the 24th constitutional carry state. We are still looking at uh, Indiana. We're still looking at Nebraska, Indiana. Uh, that bill is before uh, Governor uh, Eric Holcomb out in Nebraska. It is still making its way through the uh, unicameral legislature. But on Monday, Ohio Governor Mike DeWine signing Senate Bill 215 into law. And uh, yeah, here in about three months or so, I think July 1st is the effective date, Ohio will become a constitutional carry state. So congratulations, first of all, to all of the Ohio gun owners, the uh, Second Amendment activists with the Buckeye Farms Association, Ohioans for Concealed Carry, and all of the other uh, two-way groups in the state who really worked hard uh, to get this bill across the finish line. I mean, this is significant, and it's significant that Mike DeWine signed this legislation as well. Uh, we've been talking about how bills become law in Ohio uh, at BarionArms.com, and Governor DeWine did not have to sign this bill. Um, as long as he didn't veto Senate Bill 215, it could have gone into effect without his signature. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of expected that that was going to be uh, the route that Mike DeWine was going to take. He wouldn't actively oppose it, but he wouldn't necessarily go out of his way to uh, make a big deal about signing it into law. Uh, because, you know, I mean, look, let's be honest here. Mike DeWine has been good as a uh, governor in terms of uh, Second Amendment legislation, but he's not been great. Uh, he has offered up uh, some gun control ideas of his own, uh, the Ohio Strong Proposal, uh, which, you know, to be fair, was not a gun ban. It wasn't a magazine ban. It wasn't the traditional Democratic-style gun control. Um, but uh, I think it is fair to say that there were plenty of Ohio gun owners who were uh, maybe just a squidge nervous about what Governor Mike DeWine was going to do. So the fact that he actually signed this legislation uh, rather than just, you know, quietly allowing it to become law, I think is significant. I think it's also worth noting uh, that Governor Mike DeWine is facing several primary challengers. He is up for re-election this year. The Republican primary is in a couple of months. And uh, getting out in front of this piece of legislation, you know, again, actually uh, actively signing it as opposed to just sort of passively allowing it to become law uh, does send a signal. And it should send a signal to gun owners because Mike DeWine didn't have to do that. So clearly uh, the governor is courting uh, the vote of gun owners. And if gun owners are inclined to uh, reward the governor, they've got plenty of reason to do so, given that uh, the Buckeye state is going to become the 23rd in the country uh, to, again, uh, recognize the right of legal gun owners to not just keep arms in their home without a government permission slip, but to bear them in self-defense as well. And I, uh, again, I'm, I'm awfully excited. I'm a little jealous, a little envious, but I'm awfully excited for Ohio gun owners. I can remember, I, not to date myself, but I've actually been covering <laughs> uh, the right to carry debate in Ohio since before Ohio was a shall issue state. I mean, I can remember these conversations about Ohio going from may issue to shall issue and the objections that we heard at the time. Oh, it's going to be the Wild West. 
Oh, they're going to be shootouts over uh, parking spaces and Blockbuster parking lots. Well, Blockbuster doesn't exist anymore. I mean, except I guess there's that one store in uh, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, the last Blockbuster. So there's one gun store, or excuse me, one Blockbuster left. Plenty of more gun stores in Ohio and uh, plenty of folks who are lawfully carrying. In fact, um, last year, Ohio recorded the highest number of concealed carry licenses in the state, uh, over 300,000. So that shows you that the demand uh, for the uh, ability to exercise our right to bear arms and self-defense is real, and it's only growing, quite frankly. Uh, by the way, those numbers may decline. We might not see record high numbers of concealed carry licensees in Ohio next year, but there will still be plenty of people uh, who obtain their concealed carry license in Ohio for the purposes of reciprocity. Uh, although, it should also be noted that there are several states that border Ohio that are also constitutional carry states that allow for non-residents to carry as long as they're legal gun owners and they can legally possess that firearm. So if you're an Ohio gun owner, once constitutional carry takes effect, you will be able to travel into Kentucky, you'll be able to travel into West Virginia uh, without the need for a carry license. Uh, I think I got to do my got to do my geography here. Ohio, Missouri. No, I, 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 I got to go back and look. But there are a number of states near Ohio uh, that uh, allow for non-residents who can legally own a gun to also lawfully carry uh, in their borders as well. So, again, I am uh, I'm a little jealous, but we've got our work to do in Virginia. And we, I think, have a fighting chance if we can take back the state Senate in 2023 of uh, uh, becoming a constitutional carry state of our own. We probably will not be in the first half of the country to do so, because I have to say, I mean, so we've got three states right now that have carry bills either on the desk of their governor or making their way through the legislature. And I feel pretty good about all of these bills. So let's kind of go through them. So I mentioned Georgia, where Governor Brian Kemp has endorsed constitutional carry. It's clear the state, uh, state Senate, it's clear the state House. Um, that, I think, is a fait accompli. Why has Governor Kemp not signed this bill yet? My guess is, since he, too, is running for re-election and is facing a primary bid by uh, former Senator David Perdue, who's been endorsed by Donald Trump, that uh, Governor Brian Kemp wants maximum political impact uh, for the signing of constitutional carry. So I think you, we will likely see, I don't have any you know inside info here, but I would not be surprised to see a big public bill signing ceremony uh, at one of the firearms manufacturers, perhaps, in the state of Georgia, of which there are several now. Um, I think that, again, uh, Governor Kim is going to try to make a big deal out of this because I think he wants to highlight uh, the signing of constitutional carry. So I, I think it's coming. I think they're just trying to get all of their... Uh, uh, PR ducks in a row. Uh, then you've got Indiana, which I would say is, I, I think the odds of uh, Governor Holcomb signing permitless carry have greatly improved now that Governor Mike DeWine has signed that bill. You know, in Indiana, the uh, state superintendent of police was one of the uh, biggest uh, opponents of constitutional carry. Uh, this is a guy who's been appointed by Governor Holcomb. Governor Holcomb said after the uh, state superintendent of police uh, testified in opposition to constitutional carry that uh, he stands by his police superintendent 100 percent. Didn't say he agreed 100 percent with what he said, but that he stood by uh, the uh, police superintendent. 
I, I again, no inside baseball information here. Um, but if DeWine had vetoed constitutional carry, uh, then I think that would have allowed Governor Holcomb to say, oh, well, see, look, you know, there are uh, uh, plenty of Second Amendment supporters who have uh, grave concerns about this legislation. And uh, just as uh, Governor DeWine decided to take a pause, I'm going to do the same. You know, Pete Ricketts, the governor of Nebraska, that, that's the the other state where there is a constitutional carry bill. He has come out in favor of constitutional carry. Uh, I heard him speak at SHOT Show in Las Vegas back in January, and he was vocally supportive of the constitutional carry bill in the legislature. So if Governor Holcomb in Indiana vetoes constitutional carry, he's likely to be the only Republican governor in the country to do so. Uh, not just this year, but I'm trying to think if there have been constitutional carry bills that have passed Republican legislators that were uh, legislatures rather that were vetoed by Republican governors. We had constitutional carry passed in Louisiana last year, but that was John Bell Edwards, a Democrat, who vetoed that legislation. Constitutional carry passed in Pennsylvania's legislature, but that was vetoed by Governor Tom Wolf, uh, who's a Democrat. So I, 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 I cannot think right off the top of my head of any Republican governor who has ever vetoed a constitutional carry bill. If I'm, if I'm forgetting somebody, let me know, because it is entirely possible that that is the case. But I don't think that uh, Governor Holcomb in Indiana really wants to be that cheese standing alone here. So my guess, my best educated guess, is that constitutional carry will become law in the state of Louisiana. I'm feeling better about uh, the prospects in Nebraska as well. Uh, for a lot of this year's session, the bill was just kind of quietly sitting in committee. Uh, it was getting a co-sponsor here, co-sponsor there, but it really wasn't moving. Now the bill is starting to move. We've had one day of a floor debate in the Nebraska legislature. Looks like, again like the, uh, the votes are in pretty good shape for constitutional carry. I'm still a little concerned about uh, one of the uh, provisions that basically keeps the status quo in place uh, in, uh, in in Omaha. So there's a chance that in Omaha, even if the rest of the state becomes constitutional carry, you as a gun owner would either, if you chose to carry without a license, you would be required to register your handguns with your city government, which, by the way, is already apparently a requirement for non-concealed carry holders in Omaha. Yeah, that needs to get scrapped in its entirety. Um, so I, I'm a little concerned about what constitutional carry is going to look like in Nebraska, but I, I think in some form or fashion, we are likely to get a bill, whether it is a bill that is truly worth supporting is uh, still a little bit of an open question, but I think we're going to get a bill. Uh, to Governor Ricketts' desk. And then it's probably going to be a matter of, well, do you, do you let perfect be the enemy of good? Uh, are these amendments so unpalatable that uh, they make the entire legislation unacceptable? Right now, it's kind of a theoretical question because we don't know what the bill is ultimately going to look like if, in fact, it does pass out of the uh, legislature there and gets to Governor Ricketts' desk. But all things considered, I mean, so far, while we have had some some moments where it looked like Constitutional carry might be in trouble in states like Alabama, again in Ohio, in Indiana, where the bill had struggled to even get a committee hearing. It was eventually 
modified to the point of uh, unrecognizability uh, before the original constitutional care language was inserted into another piece of legislation. I mean, there's been some some issues. It has not been smooth sailing in every one of these states. But so far, again, it's been an incredibly successful year. No matter how uh, how the sausage has been made, uh, the Second Amendment has gotten stronger in these states. And I anticipate that that is going to be the case with the vast majority of states that, can, that, that are still working on constitutional carry. And by the end of this year's legislative sessions, most states you know wrap up by the end of June, if not before then, uh, we already, more than half of the population now lives in a constitutional carry state. That's pretty incredible. But I think we really do have a chance to see half of the 50 states uh, adopt constitutional carry language within the next couple of months. So let's put it this way. I think that by the time the Supreme Court issues its decision in the case dealing with New York's may issue carry laws, half of the country and more than half of the country's population will live in states that say, listen, if you can legally own a gun, you can legally carry a gun. There's no need for you to get a government permission slip. And the right to carry revolution, as I've said before, it is real. It is sustained. uh, And it is moving in one direction and one direction only in this country. There has never been a state that has adopted shall issue concealed carry that went back to May issue. There's never been a state that adopted constitutional carry that said, oh, this was a mistake. We got to take it off the books. Let's just go back to shall issue only. It hasn't happened. Since the mid-1980s, we now have, uh, you know, we've gone from a handful of shall-issue states to 42 shall-issue states. We've gone from one constitutional carry state, Vermont, to now 23. And uh, by the end of this week, could be 25, actually, with Georgia and Indiana. So, actually, you know, I guess I need to revise that because I forgot. By the time the Supreme Court issues this decision in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, Actually, the odds are pretty good that more than half of the country would be constitutional carry states because of all of the outstanding states, Nebraska, Indiana, and Georgia, all end up adopting constitutional carry this year. That would give us 26. 26 constitutional carry states compared to eight states where you have to prove good cause where you have to demonstrate some sort of justifiable need before you can exercise your right to keep and bear arms. I know gun control activists like to talk about the Second Amendment being an anachronism, but honestly, it's those may-issue carry laws that are out of date, out of place, and out of touch with our constitutional rights. So congratulations to Ohio and Indiana. I uh, hope that you are next. I would encourage Indiana gun owners to uh, contact their governor and urge him uh, to support constitutional carry. You could do the same in Georgia with Governor uh, Brian Kemp. I, I think he has gotten that message, and I think he's on board, as I said. But uh, also contact your state senators in Nebraska uh, and make sure that we get a strong, clean constitutional carry bill to Governor Pete Ricketts' desk. And uh, hopefully we're going to have much more good news to report on the constitutional carry front in the days and weeks ahead. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We will start there with a story out of Manteca, California. Awaiting court on one gun charge, 18-year-old arrested on another, which should be impossible in California because of all of those gun control laws that are already on the books. How on earth was this 18-year-old able to get his hands on a firearm? 
As it turns out, 18-year-old uh, James Gonsalves, one of two individuals uh, who are uh, well-known to authorities, who have now been charged with a gun possession after four people uh, were stopped inside of a Honda by the Manteca police on Sunday night uh, for what was a traffic stop originally. Uh, officers uh, who approached the vehicle noticed that there was some pot in plain sight, which is a violation of California law. It's like having an open container of alcohol. That uh, gives you probable cause to search the vehicle. They did. They found a uh, loaded 9mm handgun. Uh, not a uh, ghost gun, by the way. One that did have a serial number. Yeah. Uh, and uh, James Gonzalez, who's 18 years old, he was arrested for the illegal possession of a firearm, also arrested for being a felon in possession of a handgun, as well as committing a felony while on release from custody. Yeah, he's currently being held in custody of the San Joaquin County Jail on $275,000 bond. Uh, another uh, individual in the car, uh, Andre Donatelli, who is a, a 20-year-old from Lathrop, California, also arrested for being a felon in possession of a handgun, as well as several other firearms-related charges. He is currently on probation, and uh, so Donatelli picked up an additional charge of community felony while on probation, currently being held without bail at the county jail. Uh, 20-year-old Roman Fuston, 19-year-old Dennis Crum, both arrested for firearms-related charges. Uh, they were have been released. It appears like this would be their first offense. I uh, don't know, again, who the gun belonged to, but because uh, it was found in the car with all four occupants, all four have been charged. I would imagine that there will probably be some discussions among the district attorneys to try to get one of them to a cop a plea and pin the blame on the other. We'll, uh, you know, I say we'll try to follow up the story. I don't know if there's going to be much of a follow up. The Manteca police says that they are taking a uh, illegally possessed gun off the street every other day this year. So it may be that this is the last news story we hear about uh, James Gonzalez and uh, Andre Donatelli. But uh, again, already known to law enforcement, plenty of gun control laws on the books in California, and yet this 18-year-old and this 20-year-old, both of whom too young to legally acquire a handgun under uh, state and federal law in California, arrested for being convicted felons in possession of a firearm. I don't know. Maybe. Just maybe. The story is an indication that uh, lawmakers in California should be focused on Ensuring consequences for offenders as opposed to trying to criminalize the exercise of a constitutional right. But man, that's just me. All right. Uh, today's armed citizen story from Minneapolis, where uh, the district attorney in Hennepin County says there will be no charges for a woman in Minneapolis uh, and her son in the fatal shooting of a suspected home invader. Now, this happened, uh, oh gosh, I guess about a week and a half ago. Uh, and there's been a lot of questions about whether or not this mom would be facing charges. Uh, and most of the original reporting had focused on the woman, not her son. Uh, but the facts of the case are basically this. It was February 22nd. A 30-year-old man named Martin Lee Johnson was shot in a backyard of a home in Minneapolis. Um, according to the Hennepin County Attorney's Office, <clears throat> excuse me, and the Minneapolis police, there is surveillance footage that shows Johnson hopping over a six-foot backyard property fence, more like climbing over, I guess. He then tried to get into the home through a rear patio door, but apparently it was locked. So then he turned and he went into a detached garage through a, an outside door. Now, the mother and son who live in the home said that they initially thought that the guy had left their property after they saw him on camera. Uh, the uh, mom said that she grabbed her handgun, legal, legal gun owner, uh, and then she asked her son, who's 26, 
uh, to grab her rifle in the basement in case the intruder had entered through one of the basement windows. Um, the mom and son said that they then opened their patio door and they noticed that the garage door, the side door to the garage, was open. The homeowner then fired several, quote, warning shots into the air, which I don't advise doing. What goes up must come down, after all. And so when you're firing into the air, you don't know where that round is going to end up. Uh, you could verbally warn somebody, hey, I'm armed. Get off my property. I've called the police. They're on their way. You need to leave. But instead, she fires several warning shots in the air. as She uh, and her son uh, did call out for the intruder to leave. Um, he didn't. Johnson then apparently walked into the backyard, would not leave, and instead started walking towards the patio door where mom and son were uh, with his hands near his waist area. The uh, mom fired off more shots, demanded again for him to leave, uh, and uh, he did not, which is when Johnson was shot. Police in the Hennepin County Medical Examiner's Office say it cannot be said with absolute certainty whether it was the mother whose son who uh, fired the fatal shot, but they do say that the family members, quote, remained at the threshold of their patio door uh, during the encounter. Son called 911. Officers soon responded. Johnson, uh, who was unarmed, was pronounced dead at the scene. Uh, police say the uh, homeowner was cooperative, gave police the, uh, the ring camera footage. The uh, Hennepin County Attorney's Office says it was unable to, quote, disprove valid self-defense beyond a reasonable doubt adding that the family members gave Johnson ample warning as he was approaching them and that they did not have a duty to retreat since they were technically inside their home when the fatal shot was fired. Uh, again, this is a you know tragic situation, but it does sound like the mother and her son were well within the rights to protect themselves and their property from somebody who did not belong there and who refused to leave uh, despite repeated warnings, despite, despite knowing full well uh, that the homeowners were armed because, again, they were firing off these warning shots. So it is, again, it's a sad situation. I, I can't imagine that the uh, 53-year-old woman or her 26-year-old son are uh, thrilled that they had to act in self-defense, uh, although I am guessing that they are uh, very appreciative that they will not be facing charges for doing so. Uh, so that, um, again, puts to rest, I, I believe, uh, this particular defensive gun use, I know that there were, you know, some folks in Minneapolis who really thought that the mom and son should have been facing charges, that they did something wrong here. But you again, you have a right to protect yourself in your home. Uh, and it is not up to you to trust that the stranger trying to gain entry into your home uh, does not have, uh, uh, you know, uh, horrible intentions. Right. You don't have to give them the benefit of the doubt that they're, well, maybe he's just here to give me some cookies. No. Uh, again, you do not have a duty to retreat if you feel like your life is in danger. And in Minneapolis, uh, the Hennepin County attorney says that uh, they cannot disprove that this was not self-defense, which means that they cannot prove that the evidence does not show that the woman and her son committed a crime. Unlike, unfortunately, Mr. Johnson. Now, today's. Good deed of the day. I got to give a shout out to Henry Repeating Arms. Uh, they have a, a charitable wing of their company. Anthony Imperato, uh, who I have known for a number of years, is a great guy. And one of the things that Henry does is they've got this uh, program called Guns for Great Causes. And so they will create custom rifles for... Children's hospitals, for veterans organizations, for other nonprofit groups, but also to raise money for 
kids who are suffering from cancer. And that's exactly what they did to help out this little girl. This is a uh, picture of four-year-old Mila Chavinius of Decatur, Indiana. Mila has kidney cancer. She has gone through several surgeries. She has gone through 42 weeks of chemo and radiation, which I know is tough on adults. I can only imagine how hard that is on a four-year-old child. And Henry Repeating Arms made 55 custom rifles for Miss Mila's Miracle campaign. They sold all 55 of those rifles within three hours of announcing their release. Every rifle featured a uh, colorful, childlike design unique to Mila's personality that was engraved and hand-painted on the uh, buttstocks. They were able to raise more than $40,000 for the medical expenses for little Mila Chavinius of Decatur, Indiana. And I just think that that is absolutely extraordinary. So, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing for that little girl, Anthony Imperato and Henry Repeating Arms, and of course, all of the folks who purchased one of those custom rifles to help Miss Mila fight cancer, thank you all for your very good deed. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. By the way, if you are the uh, the thoughts and prayers type, um, I would ask you for your thoughts and prayers. My wife is going in for her CT scan today, first one in uh, four months or so. So we're going to find out what's going on with her lung cancer. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to give you an update, uh, if not later this week, early next week. But uh, your thoughts and your prayers are certainly appreciated. Uh, I would also encourage you to check out BarryandArms.com throughout the day, where we have more of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. If you like what you see, you can always become a VIP donor. Just go to barryandarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thank you for showing support for the independent pro-Second Amendment journalism that we're doing, we're going to give you exclusive news stories, analysis, content you will not find anywhere else because your support really does matter, and it does make a difference. We are very, very grateful for it. We'll be back tomorrow with yet another edition of Barry and Arms Cam and Company. Until then, be well. Be safe and be free.